0: Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox fabric sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our fabric sanitizer products. Search fabric sanitizer at clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed in santa cruz california in one year six young women last seen hitching were murdered in boston seven female hitchhikers were murdered within six months despite a nationwide pattern of beatings rapes and murders young women continue to thumb rise often from the same street corner where they know another girl hitched her way to death
1: krda news break. Northeast Ventura County, a teenage
0: girl was found at Daybreak today raped and beaten to death. County Sheriff's Department investigating the brutal murder has evidence that 18-year-old Alice Copeland was hitchhiking to the
1: Chapman Dude Ranch,
0: where she is employed as a riding instructor. As yet, authorities have no suspect.
2: Hey, Francine, you really hitch every day. Do you know how much the round-trip bus fare to Santa Luisa is? Mm -hmm.
1: Francine, you that many rides every week. You gotta hitch people you
0: don't
2: even know. Well, Julie, you do it. Does your mom know? Are you crazy? Julius, you'd rather see me dead than thumbing rides.
1: Well, I guess you're probably safer hitching than riding with Dana. Hi, going as far as Port Kirby? I am now, Dom.
2: This is who killed Teresa. Is from the uh, 1979 made-for-TV movie *Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker*, a uh, sort of a two-hour public service announcement, uh, which, in essence, boils down to the uh, a very elongated uh, a kernel of wisdom: don't take rides from strangers. Uh the, the film starred it was the debut of um actress uh, Dominique uh, Dunn, who is uh, infamous for uh, of course she played the, the she played the oldest daughter in the film Poltergeist and shortly after that she was murdered by her bo- boyfriend strangled to death it took him uh, over 3 minutes to kill her um that in itself would be a whole separate um podcast as is the whole legend and lore around um the curse of the making of poltergeist interestingly diary of a teenage hitchhiker co-starred craig t nelson as um one of the guys who picks up the girls hitchhiking along a uh, california freeways uh craig t nelson of course played dominique's father in poltergeist uh film also stars a um a young Christopher Knight, Peter Brady. It's a it's a real uh, doozy of uh, 70s pop culture. And and of course, you know, by 1979, uh you know, folks like uh, you know Gacy, um um uh, David Berkowitz, certainly uh, Ted Bundy in the Florida years was in the zeitgeist of uh, uh American conscience um so of course you have got these movies um warning about the perils of um getting into cars with strangers. And the radio announcement a, a non a fairly obvious reference to the um uh the Manson family uh the girl uh, was on her way to the Chapman Dude Ranch. Now last week if you're just joining us um this is the second of a three-part uh, episode uh, called um, uh, the, the Confines of Memory. In the first part, we talked about um, Margaret Coleman, Margaret Jones, two California um, students who came to Quebec to hitchhike their way around and camp one summer. Um, were abducted and um, either thrown or jumped from a moving vehicle. One survived, one d- did not. Um, and the one that did survive um, uh, was so tra- traumatized by the event that she never really uh, remembered fully um, what uh, what transpired in those events, and uh, the murder of Margaret Coleman remains unsolved. For today, we're going to we're going to talk about a, a Montreal case: the the, the the abduction and murder of Barbara Myers um and it's uh um it's illustrative for a number of reasons it's um it's a car it's a, they weren't hitchhiking but it's a car abduction of two young girls uh again one survived one did not uh the offender was caught in this case um, um but um it gives us because the 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 one one survivor uh, Live to tell the tale. Um, we get some insight into uh, what actually transpired during the abduction, and there's few that you know. There's there's I'm trying. To, I was trying to think of dual abductions cases where two girls were, which is high risk, really. Um, and I I can think Guy Cruteau, uh, the offender from the uh, 80s and 90s in Quebec, abducted two young girls. Um, so I know that case, but, um, uh, certainly how do you, how do you control that? Um, you know, the chaos going on in the car, I imagine, I think even at that time, uh, doors in the seventies had automatic locks, which could be controlled by the driver. Um, and, um, I think the reasoning behind that is um, to prevent a child from escaping from the car, or accidentally opening the door and falling out of the car. Of course, it could be used for nefarious purposes, and then also if you didn't even if you didn't have automatic uh, locking mechanisms, uh, you could always rig a car so it opened from the uh, outside but not from the interior. This is a well-established ruse trick with uh, many offenders. Uh of course the other abduction where we have an eyewitness account um is the case of Ursula Scholls which we talked about uh, uh later last last year where there's uh, witnesses who actually watched her being pushed into that car and and bludgeoned um by the the, the offender who eventually killed her uh Car abduction. The lore around car abduction is uh, uh, the the myth of it is 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 long, and uh, uh, I suppose you know what TV turned it into. uh, You know this menace uh, in in Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker. The the car almost has a you know a personality of its own, sort of anonymous dark car prowls the freeways uh i mean long before um stephen king's christine uh, there was a tradition of this kind of storytelling uh, in movies starting uh, i imagine with Steven spielberg's duel starring um uh dennis weaver who uh, went on to make mcleod um Certainly that, uh, some of you, if some of you cats who are from the 70s we'll remember an ABC made for TV movie called Killdozer, where a, uh, unmanned bulldozer goes on a, <laughs> goes on a rampage at a construction site. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, James Brolin, uh, Josh Brolin's father, James Brolin, uh, around the time that he made Capricorn one with OJ Simpson, uh, made, uh, uh, the car, James Brolin's, the car again, a uh, um, big black sedan. You never get to see the driver. Um, in the eighties, this evolved into, you know, the, the hitcher, the hitchhiker movies. So there's a long, there's a long, um, long tradition of, uh, of this, um, and um, you know, certainly by the by the late seventies, um, it was getting kind of culture keech. You uh, I am I am just a uh, quite frankly a trash repository of seventies pop culture. That's why I I bring all this up. Um, but uh, Di- a Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker. So that's the late seventies, and what we're going to talk about today is this case of Barbara Myers. Which occurred in 1976. So the the only reason I'm aware of this case is because um, uh, the archives of uh, Allopolis, Photo Police, which uh, is the archive is now uh, owned by former. uh, Fairly famous uh, defense attorney from the seventies, Jean Pierre Rancourt. Um, uh, the papers are now defunct, but the archive is kept uh, in a in an office in Longueuil, Quebec. And the only reason I I know about Barbara uh, Mayer is because they had a file on it. Now, some of you already know this, but just really, really briefly, uh, about five years ago, I was invited to. Um, Home the archive, uh, which is quite a quite a privilege. Uh, normally, they only provide access to um, law enforcement or to the media, but the media has to pay. But in my case, I think they were sympathetic, so I was allowed over a period of a couple of days to go in and, and look at everything. And what they what they have there, um, of course, they have all of the. Um, and and Allo Police was a uh, tabloid journal, almost like. Um, you know, the hush, hush tabloid in it and LA confidential uh for for Quebec. And um it's its heyday was I think it it ran from fifty three, heyday being in the seventies, eighties, uh shortly until after the uh the biker wars. It went defunct I think in the two thousands, sometime around then. But they keep the uh, they keep the archive. So, um and all of the uh, papers are um um chronologically kept in these large binders, but also they have like um, manila envelope files and uh, the curator when I went there was aware that I was interested in unsolved murders of young women in the 70s and one of the, the files she pulled for me was Barbara Mayers, which I didn't I didn't take a whole lot of note of. I just sort of um, emptied the contents and photographed them all and archived them for my own purposes. Um, and the interesting thing about those man- Manila envelopes is uh, they um, often they're just photographs and, and newspaper clippings, but there, there can be um, uh, treasures in there. Uh, in one case, I found a full confession of, of of a murder. In another case, there was a handwritten note from uh, uh, Yvonne Pryor, the um, the mother of uh, the. 74 victim, um, Sharon Pryor, to the mother of uh, uh, Joanne Darion. Um, this is very, very personal uh, letter from, from one victim's mother to another. So you can find all kinds of things in there. Um, so, you know, as I say, I, I archived that file on Barbara. I took it home. Um, I think I briefly looked at it and and had noted, okay, she was murdered in 76 and the guy was caught. Therefore, the guy is not Teresa's murder, my sister's murderer, because that didn't occur until 78, two years later. He was incarcerated by then. So at that point, um, you know, I dismissed it. But um, in the uh, subsequent years, as you know, I've become more interested not just in connecting uh cases through a potentially the same offender but in um in criminal investigative um failures at the hand of uh, law enforcement Uh, that's more who i'm hunting now it's not really a serial killer uh, as it were um so i went back and i looked at uh barbara's file and um the, the most compelling thing for me that I had missed was uh, that uh, the abduction of Barbara Mayer and her friend occurred two blocks, two long, long blocks, but nevertheless two blocks from the home uh, I was living in at the time um, in the West Island of uh, Montreal, Pierrefonds, uh, and the, the home that I grew up in so 1976 um and um you know i i thought about it yeah I would have been i would have been 12 years old at that time living in Pierrefonds. uh i didn't recall the case even though it happened two blocks away uh, at the corner of um Pierfons boulevard and sources uh, i asked my brother who's older than me he didn't recall the case either um so um, this led me to, to do a little bit of investigation on it, which I will shortly uh, share with you. Uh, there's a dual purpose here. Um, b- because it occurred in Pierrefonds, where I grew up, it, it, it gives me um, uh, an allowance to, um, to kind of discuss a little bit about um, what it was like uh, growing up, at that time um and uh barbara was certainly um although i don't think they knew each other they they were uh, she was a contemporary of my sister Teresa, 76 they they both would have been a uh, 17 and of course um barbara died that year uh, two years later when she was 19 Teresa died so um um a a, a lot of that environment a lot of um you know, what Barbara was doing or vice versa, what Teresa was doing at that time was probably what Barbara was doing. We all kind of probably shared a similar experience in childhood. So part of this is for me is kind of going back and looking at what it was like growing up at that time, which, um, I can tell you is not a particularly, um, pleasant, uh, you know, um, mind experiment uh, I don't really like uh, mentally going back to those years in Pure that the, despite the fact that Teresa didn't die there nevertheless it is where I lived with her um, I think one of the reasons why I'm able to do this work is because I'm physically isolated from you know that environment living in the United States now if I were living in Quebec um, uh, it probably would be a different story I mean here um, I'm so separated and have such a separate life from that identity that I can get away from it if I was if I was there I'd probably be totally immersed in this stuff and uh, not probably well equipped to do this um, kind of work nevertheless I, I did a little bit of work on that um, as I say it's challenging and um, uh, <laughs> And I'll share it with you, but it's not something I particularly want to repeat, because uh, uh, I think going down those corridors in your mind um, can uh, it can be precarious. Kids.
1: Starting, Dodgy Dolphin!
2: Johnny Smoke.
1: Johnny Smoke. Johnny Smoke. Where are you ahead, Johnny? It's necessary to have a magician for hypnotize these men when we have Christianity. You can be told that this is the law.
2: next to the railway tracks my, my parents bought a house in a suburban development in 64 um, it was a corner lot it wasn't even sodded when we moved in at the corner of uh, the house faced Blondon Street and uh, on the side was uh, Pavilion um, and running parallel to Pavilion was uh, the rail line which if you went north on the rail line, you'd cross uh, Trestle Bridge into Laval. Uh, if you went um, south on the rail line, or southeast, um, it would take you to downtown Montreal. And, uh, you know, that neighborhood was, um, w- was new and populated by um, basically uh, European immigrants uh, from, from, the, from the war. Uh, across the street were the Littles who survived the the London uh, Blitz. Next to them were the Martins, who were Dutch and had uh, immigrated from the Netherlands. You can well imagine what horrors they experienced in World War II. Uh, then the Druins, uh, who I'm still friends with, the French. And then up the block, um, uh, there was a Crescent. The Gores lived there. Um, of course, our neighbors next to us were... Um, the Cassidy's—they were from Austria. Uh, uh, Manfred and D- Dagmar—I can't remember the last name—but they were uh, German. Um, and then up the block, there, there was this guy who, who lived in one of the houses. We just called him Mannix because <laughs> he drove a car like uh, Mike Connors in that TV show. Um, so up the block, you'd get to Woodland, and then and then you'd um, uh, you, you know you. would head back and most of our friends lived on the woodland the Tysons, the Pools, the Laplantes uh, the Zimmermans and then you'd hit Pavilion and and come down and and, um, along Pavilion um, were a row of uh, duplexes where most of the French Canadians lived Um, Pavilion merged into uh, Sources uh, Boulevard Um, and from Sources you'd you'd proceed up, um, into, um, you know, Pierrefonds was basically, um, suburban houses and strip malls. That's really all that was there. Uh, you'd pass Riverdale high, uh, on your right. Um, and Riverdale, uh, I didn't go to Riverdale. I went to uh, Pierrefonds comprehensive, um, Riverdale was the controlled by the pro Protestant school board, uh, Piarfan, comprehensive by the Catholic school board, um, if you can believe that, and then it got even more convoluted um, when uh, not only were you, you know, separating schools by religion, then you were separating them by language. Um, nevertheless, so that's that's um, and Riverdale, you, you know, for a long time, um, I, um, you know, there was a brief corridor there where I thought Riverdale High was the Riverdale High from the. Archie Comics, um, you know, Betty, Veronica, Archie, Reggie, uh, Jughead Jones, Hot Dog, uh, Mr. Lodge, Mr. Weatherby, um, Miss Grundy, Dilton Doily. You know, I thought they all, <laughs> I thought they all went there. And even, um, you know, Riverdale had like this round, it was either an auditorium or a gym, um, building, um, um, and the top of it even looked like, kind of looked like Jughead's crown, to be quite honest. It still uh, still exists to this day. At the uh, top of Pavilion, uh, the cross street was Gouin Boulevard, uh, Pavilion and Gouin, and that's where the... the Riverdale High School ended, and um, if you were at the top, if you turned left um, on Gouin and you uh, crossed the train tracks, uh, uh, you were headed towards Roxborough and Saint uh, Genevieve, and that area of uh, of Pierrefonds is is where Barbara Mayer lived. She lived uh, she lived on the other side of the tracks. Well, we lived on the other side of the tracks. We were in these. Sort of fairly typical suburban homes. Uh, the the other side of the tracks had um, down by the waterfront, um, fairly affluent houses. We always, you know, we'd we'd ride our banana seat bikes over there and um, just kind of, you know, ponder how what we thought the the rich lived. Um, but uh, back to Pavilion and and Guin. Um, so on the left corner there, there was a Harvey's. Uh, restaurant on the right um there was this pretty uh pretty sketchy um chinese restaurant we always thought it was uh it was mob controlled and, and it's weird that um that chinese restaurant has been abandoned for decades it's um you know a lot a lot in Pierrefonds changed that has not um uh it, it's still there completely ab- abandoned and um And across the street was this, uh, was a field. It was just, uh, at that time, just a field. And someone had abandoned an old, uh, pickup truck in that field. You know, the windshields were all broken. It had no engine in it, but uh, nevertheless, we used to love going and playing in that, um, pickup truck. It, it still had the clutch and the, uh, gear shift, uh, so you could pretend you were driving um uh, All the more fun in at night because you'd have the the car lights from the oncoming traffic along Sources Boulevard, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, p- Pavilion merges into Sources. So continuing, you're going you're going up Pavilion Sources, and you're headed towards the. Uh, Route 40, which is the Trans-Canada Highway. Um, so in the next block, I can't remember too much. I know there was a Firestone tire dealership to the left. I think there was an, a, a nursery. Um, and then when you got to the next corner, which is uh, the corner of Sources and Pierrefond Boulevard, there there was a McDonald's in seventy six and that was fairly new that McDonald and quite a novelty. I remember when that opened and um like a big a big gift at Christmas. Um either my, it was either my parents or Teresa would always put like five dollars worth of McDonald's uh gift certificates in your stocking. Um so that that McDonalds when it opened um was uh was quite quite a thing. Um Certainly a destination it's somewhere in a in a suburb where there was not a lot to do. that's somewhere in the mid seventies where you would want to go and hang out and socialize and it is at that McDonald's at the corner of sources and a Pavilion where Barbara Mayer was abducted um in November of nineteen seventy six Getting back to uh, the other side of the tracks, uh, where where Barbara lived, we didn't have much occasion to to go over there. Um, nevertheless, there were a few reasons why you'd go there. Number one, the um, the train station to Montreal was there at Roxborough, but you didn't really walk the roads to that. If you if you want the most expedient way to get there from my house was. You walk out the front door and you follow the train tracks. You walk along the train tracks until you got to Roxborough Station. Um, but the train station was a destination because it was it was your access point out of the suburbs. Um, we uh, I remember there was a Mr. Donut shop over there. <laughs> you know, today donut shops are ubiquitous. But back then there it was only one. There was a Mr. Donut in it. I think it was in the Saint Genevieve shopping center, or again a strip mall. Um and there was a place over there where my mom used to get her hair done. Um you know, in a beehive in the 60s. I think they all did. <laughs> um so I remember it was kind of torture she'd drag you along and you'd you'd um you'd have to hang out for an hour while you know she had her hair done and dried. And, you know, just loafing, you know, around that area. Uh, and occasionally you'd take a, you know, a bike ride. There weren't, as I say, a lot of destinations over there, but certainly, you know, the ones that we went to, the ones that Teresa went to, were probably the same things that uh, that, that Barbara did. Um, you know, if 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 Barbara was at a, a McDonald's in November on a Thursday night, evening, at which she was, you know, that was one. You'd take the bus to Fairview Mall, you know, that was the first mall that kind of opened, and that was a novelty. Uh, there was a soft-serve ice cream place on Quan Boulevard called the Twisty—we called it the Twisty Cream. It's the uh, Twisty Creme. Um, it still exists to this day. That was a big deal. You would, you would go there and, and, you know, get like a ice cream sandwich, parfait, banana split. Teresa always liked parfaits um, slushy, lime slushy, something like that. Um, and, and across the street from the twisty cream was a pizza parlor. Teresa, Teresa worked there for a while. Teresa also worked at McDonald's, um, though not the one on sources. She worked at the one on St. Charles for a while. Uh, now Terry DeMonte, who's a well-known celebrity, um, Canadian morning, um, DJ, uh, in Montreal, uh, Terry was a crew chief at the sources Boulevard, um, uh, McDonald's right around the time that, um, yeah, that, uh, Barbara was abducted. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he wasn't a celebrity back then. We knew Terry because, uh, he refereed our hockey games and, uh, of course, um, he dated Teresa for a while. Uh, so that's how we knew uh, Terry. Now, um, you know, I I just had a feeling that Barbara lived in that area of Pierrefonds. I don't know. It just just struck me, probably because I didn't know her and my brother didn't know her, meant that she didn't go to uh, the Catholic school. Therefore, um, she probably went to Riverdale, and Riverdale was kind of zoned to that area of Pierrefonds. So there's a There's like a Facebook page growing up in uh, Amabay, Peterfons. Amabay is another area over by St. Genevieve, Roxborough. And um, so I, um, you know, just uh, out of the blue, I I posted a message asking, did did anybody know Barbara Mayers? And uh, immediately, you know, people came uh, came out of the uh, woodwork to, post um just some of the comments she was a wonderful young uh, lady i remember her um uh, it's a terrible story um her father uh i believe his name was fred coached hockey um um well, so they say yeah yeah she went to riverdale and before that she attended stonecroft elementary school over in uh, that area uh this is sweet uh, We had history together. We used to write notes back and forth. Uh, That was my first brush with evil in the world. So sad. Uh, Another person writes, I was hitchhiking on the same road as her that night. We were picked up by friends. She wasn't so lucky. Uh, She was wearing a purple jacket when they found her. A sweet and quiet girl. We... Used to play ringettes together in gym. Her sister used to let me borrow her Herman's Hermits records. <laughs> Finally, someone posts. I did not know her, but just read all the posts. What happened to her? All right. I'm pussyfooted around long enough. I'm now gonna tell you what happened to Barbara Myers. Thursday evening, November 18th, 1976. Two young girls are forced into a car at Knife Point outside a McDonald's restaurant at the intersection of Sources Road and Pierrefonds Boulevard. The assailant drives up to the Trans-Canada Highway, Route 40, and heads towards Vaudreuil, just off the island of Montreal. Along the way, the man's car stalls, When he gets out to check the engine, one of the girls, 17-year-old Pierrefonds resident, Barbara Myers, jumps out of the car and tries to run away. The man catches her, stabs her in the chest and in the back. He throws the bleeding girl in the front seat of the car. He then drives about a dozen miles along country roads into neighboring Saint-Lazare. On the way... Barbara Myers succumbs to her injuries and dies. Along a dirt road in Rigaud, the man stops. He orders the second girl to disrobe. The man attempts to rape the teenage girl, but is unable to. He takes her friend's body out of the car and dumps her in the ditch. Around 1.45 a.m., he drops the second girl off at her home back in Pierrefonds. He tells her, you're lucky to be alive, and warns her not to tell the police. The girl immediately informs her parents, and they call the police. This next part is really chilling. Um, um, A gentleman uh, who was a kid at the time who lived in the house behind the Myers house uh, told me that um, around three in the morning, that that morning, which would have been the Friday, uh, Fred Myers came over to his father's house and woke everybody at at three um, and told them what what had occurred. And immediately... um, a search party was organized, uh, um, consisted obviously of adults, but also um, kids, teenagers, members of the, um, he told me, the Pierrefonds Pirates and Bay hockey teams, um, and they went out to Saint-Lazare to search the area. Um, I, was, I was a member, I, was, I played hockey for the Pierre Font Pirates, although I was not, so did my brother, I was not part of um, this search party. So they they all go out they they, um, they exit the island. At, you know when they, he told me it was, you know it was dark when they were awoken uh, and just first light when they began to search. Obviously, going on the the second victim's account of where she thought they might have been when they, when they were um, abducted and taken um, out to that area off Montreal. The next morning, the, the the police become involved. Police dogs, uh, helicopters, or a helicopter. I think the Sertif Quebec only had one. Uh, officers, they take part in this massive search for Barbara mares. They scour the Trans-Canada Highway and all the back roads all the way west to the Ontario border. And around um, 11 a.m., a 55-year-old Construction worker Roger Leduc uh, finds the body. He says, um, I spotted something blue in the ditch. I uh, stopped the car and I take a closer look. Uh, it was a body dressed in blue jeans, blue jacket. Um, so I drove home and I get called the police. The second girl uh, provides a description of uh, the abductor. She describes him as a man in his 20s, about five feet five inches tall, medium build with shoulder length auburn hair, sideburns which uh, widen at the chin, and she says he has missing teeth at the front of his mouth. Um, At the time of the the incident, he's wearing a tan colored suede jacket, uh, a blue and white checkered shirt, blue jeans. She says he drove a green Buick Oldsmobile or Chevrolet with beige interior and electronically operated windows. Also in in the car, she says, uh, was a young German Shepherd dog. Uh, Later that day, Friday, November 19th, police arrest 21-year-old John Christopher Leclerc, and they hold him on a coroner's warrant in connection with the stabbing death of Barbara Myers. Um, interestingly, uh, that weekend, um, the Saturday, the uh, which was the the um, the twentieth, uh, the body of Debbie Buck is found shot um, in uh, Maribel region um, Debbie Buck we talked about um, a year ago on this program you know had Leclerc never been shot or caught you know the very fact that um, both um, both these murders occurred uh, you know within 48 hours um, and somewhat in the ra- the same region um, uh, Myers off the island of Montreal to the west uh, and buck off the island um, of Montreal to the northwest, you you know, had he never been caught, you might have been, you know, led to believe that um, the same guy committed both crimes. Nevertheless, it's not the case. Um, Leclerc was picked up um, before uh, the incident uh, with... uh, with Debbie Buck. Debbie Buck was murdered on the Saturday. He was picked up on the Friday. Debbie Buck's murder is still um, unsolved. At the coroner's inquest uh, on November 25th, 1976, if, if you're wondering why the coroner has so much involvement in these matters, throughout the 70s, up until about 1986, the Coroner's office in Quebec held a great deal of power. They were really the ones responsible whether, you know, they would collect all the evidence from the police and then make the determination whether to go to trial or not. It's not, uh, not the case today. Um, that ended in around 1986, but up until that time, a lot of power. So they hold uh, um, in this inquest, and they find him criminally responsible. Uh, he's charged with the murder of Mayers, who died of massive uh, internal hemorrhaging to the liver and kidneys, and with the attempted rape of uh, Myers' companion. At this inquest, the the second girl testifies. Um, she says that um, she and her friend Barbara initially refused Leclerc's invitation to get into his car several times but um eventually they climbed in and uh Leca- Le- Leclerc drove around for for a time claiming that he was uh, like looking for a friend and when uh, Myers realized that he uh, he was he entered onto the Trans-Canada Highway and we, he was headed out of Montreal she immediately began to panic and insult him. Uh, she cried, uh, you bastard, let us get out. Um, and after the car stalled, the, the second witness, she testifies that Myers, of course, has attempted to escape and uh, that's when Leclerc stabbed her. And uh, Myers screamed, uh, he has a knife, help me. Help me. All right. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'll get in the car. The man then threw Myers in the front seat where she lay gasping and cried. I can't see anything. Leclaire then drove to a back road and stopped while Myers bled to death in the front seat. Leclerc tried unsuccessfully for about five to ten minutes to rape the second girl. Leclerc then dumped Myers in a ditch and drove the second girl home. Along the way, he kept telling her, I shouldn't have done it. I don't know why I did it. Once at her parents' home, he took her identification card and warned her that if she spoke with the police, he would give the card to a friend who would, quote, fix her. December 31st, 1976, the French-language newspaper La Presse does a year-end summary of murders in the province that year and includes a section on Barbara Myers. And uh, La Presse concludes that, uh, quote, more than ever in 1976, we kill for nothing, end quote. Uh, plus que jamais en 1976 on a tué pour uh, des 212 murders in Quebec in 1976 that's a, a, a record in the province that has never been matched on November 16th 1977 a year later Superior Court Justice Claire Barrette Jeanca imposes a life sentence on Jean Christopher Leclerc for the murder of Barbara Myers. Give me love. Before uh, I get to the button, the button, uh, um, and uh, close with some some final remarks about this case, I should address something that has become probably a little obvious to you right now. I, I don't usually um, call attention to uh, the soundtrack, the music, but it, but in this case, the music um, actually really forms part of the landscape of this story. Music um, by um, Canadian rock band uh, April Wine, and uh, if you don't know April Wine, uh, you know kind of pretty typical uh, cock rock from that era. Um, uh, but um, you know that's not—it's doing them a disservice. I, I think uh, April Wine was a really talented band who had the misfortune of coming up. Um, With some stiff competition, Uh, you know, 1975, 76, when they released uh, their album Stand Back and the whole world's gone crazy. You know, they were up against um, Aerosmith's uh, Rocks, uh, the first Boston album, uh, Stevie Wonder's uh, Songs in the Key of Life, Led Zeppelin Presence, Hotel California, um, Frampton Comes Alive. Um, I could go on and on and on, um, so I don't. I don't think they get the credit they deserve. Now, Miles Goodwin, the lead singer, had song. He really is April Wine. Uh, uh, was not originally from Montreal. He was from uh, Nova Scotia, but uh, he moved to Montreal. And April Wine, in this era, um, lived in this area of Pierrefonds. Um, miles goodwin uh if i mentioned guam boulevard if you followed guam boulevard past the, the the shady chinese restaurant past the twisty cream up around fredmere if you turn left on fredmere uh, miles goodwin lived back there and we all knew this back then right we like on a sunday we would we'd all get on our our banana seat bikes and uh you know, cruise around there and we'd ride back and forth on miles street, watching him wash his sports car in the driveway, you know, being all cool. Like, you know, our purpose wasn't to look at my, you know, Miles Goodwin his his golden God hair, you know, shirtless and jeans washing his car, wishing we could be that cool. Um, and uh, and then, the, you know, the bass player from that era, Jim Clinch, who's, uh, it, Jim wrote some of the biggest hits for April Wine, Um, Ooh, What a Night, Weeping Widow, uh, well, he didn't write Weeping Widow, but he, he sang it, and certainly made it individual, his song. Uh, Jim lived over, uh, in the St. Genevieve area of, uh, of Pierrefont, over by Barbara, uh, Myers, uh, and, and, in, and his sister, up until uh, when he died in the early two thousands, uh, Jim was living with his sister uh, in a house right over by the Roxborough train station. So you, you know, they they kind of, you know, that's kind of the musical landscape of of this time. It made may not seem the most appropriate music, but for me it is. Um, uh, of course, you know, when those guys were struggling, they, you know, they were playing the Pierre hockey arena uh, before, long before they played the Montreal form, anything like that. Um, so that's, uh, that's why I chose uh, April Wine for this podcast. This next part, uh, um, I I don't know if... I don't think it brings any closure for such a senseless death, uh, but it may bring some solace. May 4th, 2001. Death of an inmate at the Federal Training Center. John Christopher Leclerc, an inmate of the Federal Training Center, a federal minimum security penitentiary in Laval, died this morning at Cité de la Santé Hospital, the death would be due to natural causes. Aged 55, Jean-Christopher Leclerc was serving since November 16, 1977, a life sentence for manslaughter. The police and the coroner are notified of the death, The Correctional Service of Canada will also review the circumstances surrounding this event. So, uh, John Christopher Leclerc never got out. Um, He served approximately 25 years. He was never paroled. It's good to know Um, because um, (laughs) normally under these circumstances with the cases of the 70s, when we're dealing with a crime that was solved, the people are out by this time. Um, nevertheless, Leclerc died in prison, um, and uh, as for uh, uh, Barbara Myers uh, and her fami- uh, family, Barbara Myers was buried in Ottawa, in Ontario. Uh, her brother, um, her brother died in, I believe, two thousand and six. Frank. Uh so he died early. He's also interned in Ottawa. Um I imagine the parents are have de- are deceased. Um Fred uh Mayers Fred actually worked at uh, as an accountant for the National Film Board of Canada, which was up uh up on the Trans Canada Highway just off Source's uh, boulevard. Um you know, I don't I Don't know what to really make of this case. Let's just say this: Uh, Leclerc was not a very organized, uh, planned offender. Pretty um, impulsive. Um, Didn't didn't uh, didn't really seem to uh, know what he was doing. I think in that abduction right up to the murder and the disposal of the body. He was improvising all the way and improvising really, really badly and clearly immediately um, uh, regretted what he had done. Um, uh, Whether he was remorseful, that's not what I'm talking about, but regretted, probably knew that he'd made um, some serious miscalculations and, and missteps and was... Going to be apprehended, and they clearly the Sûreté de Québec did um, did their job. Um, it was probably pretty easy uh, for them. He was apprehended within 24 hours. <laughs> That's a first. Um, he's not what I would call your uh, in in some of the cases we've been dealing with your typical um, sexual murderer. As I say, very little calculation. I doubt. He may have committed sexual assaults, etc uh, prior to this. I doubt he had murdered anyone it, uh, it doesn't It doesn't fit his uh, what we know of his uh, behavior. <laughs> Um, that is it. That's our uh, podcast for this week. The confines of memory, part two. We'll try to come back next week with part three. Part three was actually going to be part two. The bit on Barbara uh, Myers was going to be the, the kind of like a, a, a coda, the final bit. Um. But part two, I'm still waiting for a few elements. Um, not that this isn't good, but part three is really good. It's really good uh, dual abduction case that we're going to get to. Um, and I uh, hope we we'll get to it shortly. Um, as always, if you, um, if you like the podcast, um, please uh, give us a five-star uh, rating, talk it up, promote it, share it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Teresa Allor at T H E R E S A L A L L O R E, And there's a Facebook page, um, Teresa Allure, the podcast. You can follow us there. I post all sorts of um, additional information about cases. Uh, the website, um, teresaallore.com theresaallor ecom I will uh, post this podcast there along with uh, some photographs uh, from that era. I will not post anything of uh, of um, the of uh, Barbara Myers. I will not, although I have photos of the the body. I will not post those because that would be uh, cruel and pointless. Um, I also happen to know the name of the the second victim, I will not disclose that because, again, that would be um, cruel and pointless. Uh, Enough. Uh, That's the program. Confines of memory. I'm your host, John Allure. This has been Who Killed Teresa? And have yourselves a great, great day.
1: Gym sessions and sweaty
0: summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard to remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed.
2: If your preferred climate is business-friendly, check out Ohio. With 0% taxes on corporate income, R&D investments, and goods sold out of state, Ohio is better for business. Because Ohio isn't built for followers. They're building for leaders. Ohio leaders.com.